Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have our great guest all the way from St. Louis, Missouri. Welcome to the show, Philip Vincent. Thank you, Victor. I appreciate being on your podcast. Great to have you here. Now, Philip, you're in a unique segment. We talk about single family homes, and it's a very common asset class, but you take a very different perspective. Before we dig into the details, why don't you give a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey? I would love to. Uh, I, I always tell everybody I did this business backwards. Uh, I'm 42. When I was 20 years old, I got into development, building new homes. So I started off as a developer and worked my way back to a wholesaler. And so almost everybody I talk to is a wholesaler that wants to get into wholesaling so they can get into flips, so they can get into rentals, so they can become a developer. And so figuring out who I am as a person, my personality, I realized very quickly, I'm not a good adult babysitter. I didn't like dealing with municipalities. I didn't like dealing with contractors. And Victor, I wasn't big enough to matter. And what I mean by that is even if you get up into that five to 20 houses a year range, you almost still don't matter. Meaning there's the contractors out there that have so much business, they would much rather give it to that person that guarantees them business. And so I never got big enough to matter. And that's what, my, you know, my dream was always where are the best deals coming from. And so my journey led me uh, to where we are today. I love that. That's a unique story. It's not your traditional career path by, by no means. So fast forward to today, your business is called Mom's House, and you take a unique slant on the aging process. I do. Always trying to find the source of the best deals. You've had you know, hundreds of podcasts and there's a, hundreds of ways to find deals. And what I have found that the best leads or best appointments in the business come from one source. And it's the adult children helping their parents move into senior living. Because at that exact moment, it's the first time the kids are helping mom make decisions. Maybe they've taken the keys away. Maybe there's, you know, there's a lot of emotions and heartstrings going on, but it's that moment where the family needs to sell the house because to pay for the care, they don't pick the, the inexpensive place. They pick the most expensive place that mom can afford. And almost always that includes they need to sell the house. That makes a lot of sense. We are often the recipients of those clients coming into assisted living, maybe coming into memory care. They're there not because they want to be, but because they need to be. Usually something uh, dramatic or traumatic happened. Uh, usually, I, I always like to say, Victor, I, I get to wear my cape. I'm just the house buying guy. I'm easy. I'm not the doctor who said after mom's hip surgery that in three weeks when she gets out of rehab, she cannot live on her own anymore. I'm not that person. That's the doctor. I'm not the finance director at the senior living community that said this place is $8,800 a month. That's the finance director. I'm the guy who helps unlock that equity out of that old dated house and does it with some integrity and does it with some empathy and uh, knows how to handle and help the family the right way. Uh, there's always the most responsible child. It's what I like to call the person put in charge. If there's four or five kids, there's always one that has the burden on them. All the other brothers and sisters have opinions and they live all over the country and they think their sister's doing it wrong. But that person I have a lot of respect for because they are fighting up and down in their weight class. They're trying to make their mother happy, their father happy, the community happy. They're trying to get the paperwork together, still going to the doctor's appointments and their brother that lives across the country is complaining about all of it. And I'd like to point out that person's still married. Usually they have a house, they have a life. Now they have this almost full-time job trying to help mom get placed into the best care possible. And that person has a lot of burden on them. And I try to make that process as easy as possible. No doubt if someone is in that aging out of their house situation, 
there's probably a lot of deferred maintenance. Like you said, the house is dated. It's not going to go on the market. Maybe you're in a super hot market and you can sell it on an as-is basis and people will buy it anyway, but that's not the majority of the market. Majority of the buyer market wants something that's turnkey ready. Victor, you know what I found? It's not even the house. It's the problem. Um, I usually am up against not much competition except for maybe a realtor. And what does the realtor say when they walk into a house that has 40 years of life inside of it? They say, clean this place out. Absolutely. Before I put my precious, right? And so that in itself can be easily a 60-day process. It's really hard to get rid of stuff. Uh, Today's uh, grandkids don't want mom's china. They don't even have a hutch to put it in. They don't, can't put it in the dishwasher. They don't want mom, you know, mom or grandma's old bedroom set. They'd rather go to Ikea and buy something trendy and new. And so getting rid of stuff because you want to try to do right by mom. Remember, she's moving from a 1700 square foot house that they've lived in for 40 years down to a 14 by 12 room. And so the amount of stuff is exponentially too high. And so just knowing they can take the heirlooms and leave everything else behind is a blessing. Not to mention, you know, us as really good investors and your, your podcast has full of people. This is not their first rodeo. If they think about their best deals they've ever had, it's probably a story like this. What I show people how to do is uh, systematize that and make that a focus in their business. What you describe as a 60-day process is not, the reason it's 60 days is not because it takes that long to empty out a house, but it's because there's presumably thousands of small decisions to be made. Salt and pepper shakers. Dad paid $1,800 for that. It's worth What's that old piano worth? You know what I love when they say, what's my, what's my mom's old piano worth? She paid blank for it. I said, I don't know what your piano was worth, but I do know there's 40 of them on, for free on Craigslist right now. Same with pool tables. <laughs> pool, there's, there's things out there that have less than zero value. <laughs> yeah, you're, and you're right. By the way, the other thing that takes the time is that children on average live 400 miles away, plane flights and getting there, uh, they're there to pick out mom's tchotchkes or heirlooms or whatever they want to take. Not everyone can get there the next day, right? It takes weeks, if not a month, to get the whole family there so they can come in and grab a piece before it goes away. And so that logistics also falls in that most responsible child. It's not a fun time, Victor. It's probably, it's the mo- one of the most emotionally heart-wrenching times. And I try to make every decision in my business to try to put that adult child first. When I say adult child, I want to point out the oldest adult child I've ever had is 80 years old. He was helping his 98-year-old mother-in-law move into senior living. So when I say adult child, I mean, this could be an, you know, it's usually a 40 to 70 year old helping their 60 to 90 year old parent. This year, 2020 is unlike any other year on so many different levels. In addition to people moving into assisted living, those numbers are down this year. We've got an additional 209,000 deaths due to COVID-19. How many of those are coming into this segment of the market? It's a great question. Um, People don't stop aging, even when the pandemic happens. Uh, the, there was a dip in March, obviously, uh, not quite a full U shape yet, but what we're seeing is the pent up demand is starting to push back into the assisted living markets. What's changed is I see a focus going away from the big box. Uh, you said you own some communities. I'd be interested to talk with you maybe offline about that. Uh, the big box communities, the, what I call the dormitory style versus the small scale. I too am in senior living. Um, I have up to 16 beds per house and that's the max I have. And so we were doing that pre-COVID. So post-COVID, it just makes us look, I don't know, we, we got lucky, right? I mean, I'm just going to be blunt with you. We didn't plan for that, but we just tried to say, what is the highest level of care and try to keep those care ratios as high as possible. We feel there's a huge segment of the market that wants to take mom from her home to a home. 
where they can get to know the caretakers versus the glitz and glamour of some of the ski lodges and, you know, these big, you know, the chandeliers are, you know, they judge it on the size of their chandelier sometimes. I absolutely agree. I mean, we're, we're developers of that residential care model, but we don't build single homes. We focus on that 12 to 16 bed home where every night is like Thanksgiving dinner. You better believe it. Yep. And those homes are built into actual planned communities. So there is a separate admin building. There's a you know, single nurse oversight over an entire campus of residential care homes. So you get the economies of scale of the big box facility without the institutional feel and the pandemic risks associated with a big box facility. So it's a much more intimate setting. You can design the buildings in such a way that you have positive air pressure in the bedrooms and things like that. So even from an air handling perspective, you can keep things outside the front door it's it's a better design overall, and it's something that we believe is on trend, was on trend regardless of COVID-19, and COVID-19 has simply accelerated that. I could not agree with you more. That's exactly right. We're even taking and putting a uh, visitation room built into the front of the buildings that has no uh, shared duct space and cl- easily cleanable to where this problem with the families being able to visit without contaminating the rest of the people in the house so you're, you're, you're exact. I feel that the sentiment is exactly how we feel as well, Victor. You've got this pipeline of homes and they're distressed, meaning they're coming in because they have to sell. They're not, they're physically distressed. They may not be financially distressed, but they're probably not that far from being financially distressed. If they've got a six to $8,000 check to write every month for assisted living. So there's an urgency to get these properties transacted. Where do you go from there? It's a great question. So there's two different people I help. The family, even if they have the means, they understand what it means to rehab the house, to clean it out, to get it on the market and sell it. You know, with that six to $8,000 clock ticking every month, if it takes you, and it could take you very easily six months from the time you figure out mom has to move to the time you get it cleaned out, uh, rehabbed, because guess what? We're in a phenomenal market right now, Victor. Have you tried to hire any contractors lately? It's a laughably painful. And I'm in the have been in the business 22 years and it's hard. So imagine being the layperson. Uh, then the other big deal is a person that has means understands the t- value of their time, and they know that I at scale can do a sixty thousand dollar rehab, which would what it would cost them for forty. Well, guess what? That twenty grand is my earned profits based on the value I added to the house. So net to them is the same. Well, what logical person would not want their money in three weeks instead of six months with a question mark? I mean, it makes sense, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And they're 400 miles away, like you said. Yeah. It's hard to rehab on the other side of St. Louis, let alone 400 miles away. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine doing it. And plus, you know, you should go get three, three bids from everyone, right? Next question, Victor, who's going to pay for that? Mom needs money. Who's going to front the money? A lot of Americans don't have a lot of cash. And if you, if you do, congratulations, a lot of them don't. The other big one I want to point out, and you as a, uh, an operator, I ask a loaded question. And for your listeners right now, get your pens out. This, this sentence is worth $100,000 plus. Do you ever have a situation where they want to move mom in, but they can't until they get the household? It's a good question. And I, I'm actually not the operator. My, my business partner is the operator. I'm the developer. Got it. Okay. So you're the, but you understand what I'm saying, right? Yeah. That, that, what you're saying to them is, is, here's what happens, Victor. They want to think of you as an investor. That can be taken as a negative. And even worse, if they think of you as a realtor. And the reason why I say it that way is because they already know what a realtor is. Their crocodile brain turns off. They don't need you to know anything more about you. I teach about 10 different stakeholders in the senior living world that have been fruitful for me that I solve an issue that that stakeholder faces every single day. They're dealing with these clients every single day in that exact moment. And I fix that problem for them. The average stay is 28 months in senior living. 
uh, I can add weeks, if not multiple months onto the front end, end of someone's stay. And that in turn makes the operator uh, more profitable uh, because they don't have that hurdle to overcome. That's brilliant. I love that. Thank you. We're dealing with a large distributed opportunity. This is nationwide. It's not just concentrated in one area. And real estate, of course, is hyper-local. Yes, sir. How do you, from where you sit in St. Louis, how do you participate in this on a large scale? Great question. Um, I, If you give me the a street name and a zip code in this town of St. Louis, I can probably tell you what that house is worth because I've been working here for 22 years. If you did that in Albuquerque, I couldn't tell you what a good deal is. And what I mean by that is when we set out to build mom's house, I wanted those experts in their towns to stay the experts in their towns, but I wanted to give them a platform to help. This is a great business for people that like to help others. It's not a great business for if you're just transactional. Victor, do you ever do any real estate uh, networking like in the real estate investment or like RIAs? Do you ever go to any RIAs in your town? Well, I'm the president of a RIA, so I know a little bit about it. So, Well, there you go. Okay, great. So how many times have you seen the size of someone's check? In our real estate world, we show our checks. Look at this guy. Here's a check. Victor, I've been networking in senior living since 2011. I've not seen one person's check yet. And my point to that is it's very, very different. There's more harm. If you, when people hear me today, they're going to say, okay, cool. I'll stop into the local senior living community, put my hand out and say, I'm Bob and I buy houses. And I say, good luck with that, Bob, because you're going to blacklist yourself without even knowing you're doing it. Right, right. I, I had to learn the hard way. I'm stubborn, right? In 2011, I was doing it wrong. But you know what, Victor? I knew it was too, I knew the, I knew it, it was too good to, stop. And so I kept going, I kept learning. I go, Oh, that, no wonder they thought that way. Right. And I kept building relationships. And now today, my appointments, not leads, my appointments come to me. And I feel like in the real estate world, we make this business too damn hard. We spend 90% of our time trying to make our phone ring when my life is set up to where they come to me. Well, and I, and I, that resonates with me very strongly. In fact, the culture of our RIA is not that typical RIA. We don't have people at the front of the room showing checks and, you know, the no one out there with the business cards that say we buy houses and all of that sort of thing. That's interruption marketing. That's uh, That doesn't work. It's, uh, you know, if I use the dating analogy, it that involves skipping a lot of steps. And, and in dating, when you skip steps, yeah. that goes to creepy very, very fast. And yes. so yes. it's it's exactly the same. So... I'm not a believer of being creepy in my personal relationship or in business. So yeah. uh, just don't go to creepy. But so I, lo I love what you're doing. It's not needed, right? It's not needed to be creepy. Uh, we're there to help. Uh, there's plenty of money in real estate. Exactly. You know, so I don't, you know, there, I, I make a good living and I, I have a, I'm proud of my life and the people I get to help. So I think, I feel like I'm doing real estate the right way, at least in the single family business that I'm in. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, if folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way? I like to make it simple. I like domain names that my eight-year-old could spell. It's momshouse.com. Fantastic. Definitely reach out to philip at momshouse.com. That's a great story. I love it. And for the listeners at home, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. I'll talk to you again tomorrow. <laughs>